0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. To remind you of that account, I will read the first verse. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his sin, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have regained your brother. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I have a problem, for we cannot help but to sin. Try it. Try going five minutes without thinking a thought that sins against the Lord. We can't do it. In our natural state, we're damned to hell. Period. End of discussion. And we deserve it. So God became a man to be our substitute and lived in our place. He probably was born around 6 B.C., died around age 33. So around 27 A.D., he died on the cross and your sins were forgiven. The sins you are going to commit tomorrow were forgiven nearly 2,000 years ago, already taken care of. So why do we care about sin? Why do we give one iota? Theologians throughout the history of the Christian church have made a distinction between two kinds of sins. See, we think that there are some sins that are more severe than others. But Jesus says there's only one unforgivable sin, that is to deny the Holy Spirit. So we make a distinction of two kinds of sins. The first is often called menial sin. What does that mean? It means it's a sin that I struggle with every day. It may be my or your pet sin, But we wish we didn't do it. We lose and we end up sinning and we trust in the Lord for forgiveness. We want to take it back. A mortal sin can be, two people can be committing the same sin and one may be doing it menially and the other one mortally because a mortal sin is when you embrace the sin. I know this is against God and his word. I know that this can drive the Holy Spirit out of my heart and damn me to hell. But I will embrace this sin. I love this sin more than I love my salvation. I will let it have the place in my heart that God is meant to have. A sin like that embraced for a period of time will drive the Holy Spirit out of the heart. David committed adultery. David committed murder to cover up the adultery. David quit trusting in the Lord and God had to send the prophet Nathan to admonish him and restore him to faith because David was driving the Holy Spirit out of our heart. So why do we care about our neighbor at all? Can't we just stick our head in the sand like ostriches and worry about our own sins? God says in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 8, When I say to a wicked man, wicked man, you shall surely die. If you do not speak to warn the wicked man against his way, that wicked man will die because of his guilt. But I will also hold you responsible for his blood. (gasps) Oh, we got an escape clause. We're not called to be prophets like Ezekiel was, right? That was Ezekiel's call. Wrong. Because God has made you a priest. And when God presents somebody in your life... He expects you to function as a priest, to proclaim the law and in order to pour the blood of Christ upon their sin. Any sin, when embraced, can drive the Holy Spirit out of our heart. Today's text is considered the proof text for the ultimate thing that we have in the Christian church to warn a brother, and that is excommunication, and it is often one of the most misunderstood texts. If we approach this text wanting to admonish a brother or sister in Christ going, the goal here is excommunication, let's go get them. If we approach a brother or sister in Christ with their sin saying, I don't commit this sin, I'm better than you, we are doing it all wrong. And in our second lesson, the Apostle Paul says, Brothers, if a person is caught in some trespass, you who are spiritual should restore such a person in a spirit of humility carefully watching yourself so that you are not also tempted. Bear one another burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, in today's text, we see that God calls us to admonish each other. But it's to save. It is to proclaim the blood of Christ. And you know, one of the sins that we could drive the Holy Spirit out of our heart with is simply nursing a grudge refusing, we who have been forgiven, purchased and won and placed into the flock of God, refusing to forgive a brother or sister in Christ who have hurt us. And so, the first part of our sermon is what Jesus tells us, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his sin just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have regained your brother. Privately. So let me go through some of the ways I've seen this get screwed up in the years I've been a pastor. Way number one, pastor's happy in his office, listening to music, working on the sermon, the phone rings. Pastor, this is Jamie so-and-so, and and Jane Doe sinned against me, sick him! And it happens. And the thing that I've learned in my years of being a minister, and I don't mean this bragging on myself, I'm blessed, you empower me to study the Word of God. I'm the big guns. So if you have a brother or sister sin against you, and Pastor, sick them! It's like they open, the doorbell rings, they open up the door, and suddenly they're looking down the barrel of a loaded howitzer cannon. Whoa! Whoa, Pastor! There was no warning here! Why are you here? What's this? Why didn't they tell me? But you know, we live in an age also in which we can really drag somebody's name through the mud. You sinned against me, I better get on Facebook. I better get on Twitter. I better let everybody know how rotten you are. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if somebody has sinned against you and you're harboring a grudge and you need some advice, come, come talk to me. We will work through some scripture passages. I will help you. But if you harbor a grudge and just let it go, you yourself, I may end up being the person visiting you saying your bitterness is going to drive the Holy Spirit out of your heart. So God tells you first and foremost, don't let that happen. Forgive the brother or sister and go and talk to them privately. And you know the irony, one of the things that I have learned in doing so? See, I'm a sinner and I like to make up excuses. And if you call me out in front of everybody, especially for one of my pet sins, my private sins, the sins I hide and I'm ashamed of and I'm disgusted, I commit, and you call me out publicly, I'm going to get defensive. I will start giving excuses. And so will you. So if a brother or sister in Christ has sinned against you, you don't don't tell the whole world. Go and talk to them privately, but remember the goal. The goal is not I'm here to kick you in the guts because you hurt me. The goal is our relationship in the Lord has been hampered. I want you to know the blood of Christ. I want to pour the blood of Christ on you. And that means like if somebody's stuck in the mud, being willing to get in there and get knee-deep in the mud and put your shoulder up against the tailgate of their truck and start pushing. But the Apostle Paul warns us with that carefully watching yourself so that you're not also tempted. Privately, talk to your brother and sister in Christ. The goal isn't, I want to get even. I want you to know you've wronged me. The goal is to show them their sins so that you can tell them the great news. The blood of the Lamb has washed this sin away 2,000 years ago. You are my brother or sister in Christ. What happens, though, if they don't listen to us? What happens if we haven't regained them? Because that's the goal. But if he will not listen to you, take one or two others along with you so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, the biggest thing that's going on here is not being a gossip or a busybody. In the previous call I served, I did a lot of marriage counseling, and one of the things I learned lots of times is, many times they just needed to talk to pastor once. They were fighting like cats and dogs over an issue, and they just needed somebody who was neutral, who was detached from the situation and could point out, where you're misunderstanding this person, and that person's misunderstanding you. Two or three witnesses is not, now you sick them! They're there to help. They're there to say, you know, maybe you're not explaining this clearly. And you know, one of the things I have found is sometimes when I think somebody sinned against me, I'm wrong. They didn't even sin against me. I've misunderstood. I've read things. And sometimes that two or three others may even be telling you, guess what? You know, you're hurt and we're not trying to deny that, but you're misunderstanding. But again, sometimes the person will say, get off my doorstep. I don't want to listen to this. How dare you? And then those two or three witnesses are there to help do what comes next. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as an unbeliever or a tax collector. Now, today, the the IRS has set April 15th as a day in which you really have to have been in contact with them, usually with a check, But in those days, the tax collectors, they had to collect, I think it was 15% for the Roman government, and they wanted to collect more than that because whatever they collected then was their wages. But they were legalized thieves, and they would collect everything they could. So if you're happy going to the town marketplace, wanting to sell your wares, and you see the tax collector's booth, you turned around and went home because that was going to cut into your profits. You saw the tax collector, you went away because he was a legalized thief, and he would take from you. So... The problem here is not that we end up having to do this. It's our view in how and why we're doing this. And don't forget that a pagan in the Old Testament times, you had all those ceremonial laws of cleanliness. You were supposed to tell the pagans the good news of salvation in Christ, but they were unclean. You didn't go over and eat with them. Because you'd be unclean. Then you had to stay your night outside of your house. And you had to go up to Jerusalem and make those sacrifices. It was a pain in the rear. So you marked and avoided. But the reason for marking and avoiding should not be something we rejoice and run into. It is a last resort. It is not a punishment. Christ was punished for our sins on the cross. It is a discipline. And let me tell you what I mean by the difference. When my oldest son was fairly young and able to walk around, it's Thanksgiving and my wife and I are making our Thanksgiving dinner and and all the burners are on on the top of the stove because we have all these things we got to make. And I look down and I see this little hand reaching up to see what's going on the stove. This little hand innocently does not know it's going to get a third degree burn. And out of love for this child, I do not want to spend Thanksgiving in the emergency room. So I grabbed the little hand. no. Ouchie, no, no, owie, owie, hot. And I hold the little hand close enough to the burner that it's uncomfortable, but not enough to hurt the child. The child starts to pull their hand back. They feel the heat, they feel the uncomfort. Then I let go. Ouchie, no, no. And that child has never reached up and touched a burner on a stove since then. That is what excommunication is. We are not punishing the person. We want them to be back in the grace of the Lord. We cannot read hearts, so it has to be abundantly clear that they are embracing a sin and driving the Holy Spirit out of their heart. Now, I have pastored people where I, was, I did not proceed with that, even though others saw the need, so I thought maybe that was the case, because I could tell the person was struggling with the sin. Too often, I'd say nine times out of ten, when I meet somebody who's been excommunicated, they were excommunicated improperly. Either they were not committing a sin. Remember meeting a person who'd been in our armed services, was in Iraq, and was unable to go to a Welsh church. When they got out of the military, they made the mistake of going to a college where our little sin it wasn't, and one day they got a letter because they hadn't been to church in so many years. They were excommunicated. That church did not walk through and go and talk to the brother. They didn't send to. They didn't get in the mud and struggle with this person. The person was wrongly excommunicated. And I have met people who maybe were embracing that sin, but the church didn't view the goal to win them back. They viewed the goal as beating them over the head as if punishing them. This is not a process we should rejoice in doing. It should be clear if we have to do it, that we have to do it, and it should be done out of love. Like when a parent has to discipline their child, I remember hearing those words, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, and I'd say, then, Dad, you have to put so much of your bicep into it. It should stink. It should be our last resort. Several years ago, I had a man who was in his first year in the ministry call me. Okay, it was Friday. This guy broke off his engagement with his fiance. Friday night, he was seen at the bar hitting on a few other girls. I called him today. It's Saturday. He won't answer his phone. If he shows up at your church, you are not allowed to give him communion because we are excommunicating him Sunday morning. Whoa! Whoa! Do you honestly think that less than 24 hours time is enough time for a person to get into their head the sin they're making? Are you sure this person is in a sin that should be excommunicated? Saturday night, that young pastor called me and said, thank you. You stopped me from making a terrible mistake. It was not an excommunicable sin. You are right. I was rushing into it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we publicly take the responsibility upon the congregation saying you're done. Forgiveness is not yours. We've locked the gates of heaven. But the purpose of that is we are clear. You are embracing this sin from everything we can see in a way that will, if it has not already driven the Holy Spirit out of your heart. We're holding the child's hand to the burner. And the minute that person repents, we're done. We open up the gates of heaven and say, Your sins are forgiven. We are not punishing them. We are warning them so that they will be in heaven. We want them to know the forgiveness of sins. So we have a comfort because, you know, we live in a politically correct day and age. And boy, there are a lot of sins that if you tell somebody, You're embracing this sin. I don't think you can live with somebody and have sexual relations and not be married and continue in that sin, knowing it's a sin, and not drive the Holy Spirit out of your heart. It's just a guarantee you've set yourself up. It's a matter of time. There are sins that can do this. And so we warn them. But it's politically incorrect to warn them. It's politically incorrect to say having sinful desires is what we do, but embracing them is wrong. How dare you pick on my sin? So Jesus gives us comfort. He says, Amen, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You, dear brother and sister in Christ, are a priest, and you have all the power of God standing behind you. Will that power responsibly... Make sure that when you bind that sin, it needs to be bound. Be happy to loose that sin and say your relationship with your Savior is restored because God is standing behind you. You have his power, and in fact, you have his comfort. Verse 19, amen, I tell you again, if two of you on earth agree to ask for anything, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. When I have had to get involved as pastor... I always thank the Lord for the times he makes me remember. You know what? I'm here to talk to you about a sin. Let's begin by praying to God that we can communicate with each other and we can glorify him in this. And you know, when I remember that, God has always answered that prayer. If we start the process with, this is a process. We're going to get it done in a couple hours. And we're going to have this person thrown out. We are not going to take the time to pray to God, are we? Lord, the result we want is this person know that they have been forgiven and the blood of the Lamb is on them. We're told, in fact, where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am among them. If a brother or sister in Christ, if you think they've sinned against you and you go and talk to them privately in the name of God the Father, wanting to win them back to know the forgiveness of the Savior, you're actually having church. God promises he's there with you. So yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I are redeemed. We are made brothers and sisters in Christ. And if somebody is embracing a sin, they can drive the Holy Spirit out of their heart. And if we refuse to forgive them, they may need to come and talk to us as the brother because of our refusal to forgive. Because God has died and has given us his blood and has given us the joy of showing people the need for it and then getting to pour the blood of the lamb on them. So we have seen today God calls us to admonish each other, privately taking the responsibility upon yourself, semi-privately taking the responsibility upon yourselves, a couple of brothers or sisters in Christ, and publicly taking the responsibility upon the congregation as a last resort with the whole entire goal of pouring the blood of Christ on his lamb. Amen. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, both soul and body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen.